In the last episode, we had an excellent talk with Rob House of Experts on Stage. His mission is to create billions of healthy, wealthy human doings by empowering people with the knowledge and tools that help lead them to living healthier, more prosperous lives. Now on to this episode, we'll be talking to David William Reeve. He's a writer, photographer from SoCal, and he's been taking photos for over 20 years. And I met David um, a while back, working with him at a very well-known company back in the days. And uh, we we basically become good friends, and I've been uh, in touch with him since then. I did not know that he was a photographer back when I was working with him or I would have gotten into it earlier. But here is David. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Janaid. Thanks for including me in this uh, this podcast of yours. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to make it. Yeah, for sure. I, I think when we first met, I was probably, I was a photographer. I had been a photographer earlier, and then I think I stopped for a while. And then probably at the time I knew you, I was getting back into it, which... Got it. Why I wasn't talking about it too much. Yeah. Uh, I think with the advent of digital photography, I think it kind of repopularized the medium, and a lot of people, including me, were kind of reintroduced into it at that time. Absolutely, that is so true. The and 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 I've been following the technology. Like when I got into photography, I was mostly using point and shoot cameras, and. Um, it, it was pretty interesting how easily like you can snap away photos because I remember having the film back in the days and, and um, having to use those throwaway cameras and you only had 36 shots. Right. Yeah, you know, I think we, we have to be cautious not to rely too much on the technology. If you can, if you can work with the most basic camera and apply your art and your point of view, then I think you're going to be talented no matter what level of camera technology you're using. And um, I think that goes without saying for a lot of things, you know, um, if you can, uh, if you can shoot a basketball without wearing Michael Jordan high tops, you know, you're going to shoot it even better with them. So um, absolutely. The equipment is always secondary. It's about having an approach and a point of view and, learning your style and developing your craft technology always comes later. Yeah, that is so true. Um, having the technique down, having the ability to see, okay, where's the light coming from? How should I compose and how should I set up this shot is absolutely more important than the equipment itself. Um, like one of the things that we talked about uh, with John was that, you know, it's not the camera, it's the photographer, it's the lighting, it's all of those things combined is what creates the look and the, the photograph that you'll be creating. Uh, yeah, very true. There's a um, another good photographer turned me on to this idea. Someone had turned him on to the idea and so on. It got passed down. But this notion of creating a photograph um, before you even take your camera out of your bag, uh, Absolutely. Which I think is the um, it's the best piece of advice I've heard in 10 years or more. 
Yeah. Um, in that it teaches you to use your eyes like a camera mm -hmm. and not rely on the device um, to create your shot. If you can use your imagination yeah. and your eyes and compose a situation or compose an environment where you can then later bring in a camera, um, then I think you're doing it right. And that, that's not for all types of photography, but for the type that I do, it, yeah. certainly the camera should come in at the very end of the, of the opportunity. Um, and uh, it, it's something that I just, I kind of share with people and would love for your audience. If there's photographers listening Absolutely. to know, um, you know, create your shot before you've taken your camera out of your bag. Yeah. Uh, it's especially true with like portraits because people mm -hmm. get nervous when you aim a camera at them. Yeah. And you know, if you're doing a portrait or working with a group of people, mm -hmm. um, the camera is an obstacle that can get in the way. Yeah. Um, try talking to them, make them comfortable. Yeah. Uh, look at them, study them. Um, I did one portrait once. Um, I was taking a picture of some business leader and I think I was a little bit nervous around them. Mm hmm. Um, you always feel like you're wasting their time if you take too long yeah. to to get your shot. You know they they become impatient, mm -hmm. they become nervous, and then it's it's just a bad scene for uh, everyone. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So I had taken this person's photo and I had done it in such a rushed, quick fashion. Mm -hmm. I didn't even look at what I was taking a picture of. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was able to capture him. Mm -hmm. And then upon studying the photo, I realized that the collar of his shirt was inside out oh. and it just looked sloppy because I had not taken the time to actually study my subject mm -hmm. uh, to make sure he didn't have any food in his teeth or to make sure his hair was, was combed or in this case, to make sure that his collar was properly folded and, and under his sweater. Mm -hmm. uh, had I taken the time to study my subject and left my camera in the bag? Yeah. Um, we would not have had this kind of feeling of being nervous and rushed and awkward. And, um, uh, it would have just been a casual conversation mm -hmm. and we would have got things right. But, um, anyway, that's where Photoshop comes in. So <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's what I was going to wonder. Like, uh, did you, did you erase it? But yeah, just, uh, yeah. Went in and, uh, and took care of it in Photoshop and smoothed it down a little bit, but it wasn't perfect. Yeah. And that's not the way that that it has to be. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Photoshop and Lightroom can come to the rescue mm -hmm. when you're, when yeah. you're not on top of things. Yeah. Um, that's so true. I mean, uh, a lot of the times I'll bust out the camera, I'm like, here's my gear, you know, instead of, uh, right. focusing on what's happening. And, and that's what, that's what photographers and uh, that's what videographers do or cinematographers and filmmakers, right. They'll go scout out, scout out a location like, okay, Where's the sun setting from? What time of day is the sun setting? You know, and uh, figure out. Okay, this is my shot. This is when my shot's gonna be, and that's why they frame it with their hands instead of using yeah. any device. Now, the other thing, what's happening with this technology getting better and better is that uh, you can use your iPhone for framing these shots as well, not taking them, but just to frame them. I mean, for especially for movies and filming filmmaking but for even for photography and um, I've never done that before, but that's a, that's a smart trick because you can quickly snap it and then look at it in your leisure time. And then you, you can see, okay, where's the shadow falling from? And then you can set your camera 
properly and, and do it. And uh, I mean, I haven't tried it myself, but I was looking at uh, one of the examples. The reason I brought this example up is because David Soderbergh, um, who's a very well-known director, he shot an entire film on three iPhones, the entire film on three iPhones. Of course, he, you know, all the footage was edited in a professional, you know, desktop environment, but the camera, the main camera was an iPhone. And the, there were some interviews with the actors and, and they were like, you know, we felt so much, or, you know, he felt so much better or so less um, intimidated by not having this huge camera gear in front of his face. And, you know, it's, it's just like his friend recording a video and he's just acting it out. I believe it actually. That's a, that's a great trick. I think we've become more comfortable in front of iPhones. Yeah. We all own one. Mm -hmm. We all take selfies. We're, we're just used to being in, in the presence of an iPhone and people don't tend to lock up and get nervous. Yeah. Um, there's another, you know, bad habit that people have when they, when they um, are in front of a camera and they tend to smile yes. and look at the camera and, um, you know, there have been billions and billions of photos taken from people smiling and looking at cameras. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I always tell photographers, like, we don't want that. We're done with that. Yeah, we need to move on. Exactly. We need to find better ways of, of shooting. We don't need people smiling and looking at cameras. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, to your point, using an iPhone to kind of introduce that um, and to study and get your shot before bringing out the camera. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. It just completely changes the mood when the camera comes out. It does. It does. It's like, Oh, I'm going to be on this camera. Oh, this is official. Right. right. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It, it's so, uh, you know, I think there's a perception that the equipment is expensive mm -hmm. and if we don't hurry up quickly, then we're wasting time. It's kind of the way movies were made. Yeah. Um, where, you know, a movie would cost, you know, $10,000 per minute to produce or something like that. Mm -hmm. if you were wasting film if you weren't, you know, capturing every single moment. Yeah. And there was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to get your shot and then quickly move on to the next set. And um, maybe that perception comes from, from Hollywood and filmmaking. It does. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, but it's, it's changing slowly, yeah. slowly changing. And then I think Steven Soderbergh even said that, you know, all my future films, I'm not shooting. I'm not shooting other than an iPhone, using an iPhone. And I was <laughs> like, all right, man, that's pretty awesome. Um, Certainly reduces the budget. It does. It it's totally reduces the bu budget. Uh, now, there was a master class by Annie Leibovitz, and uh, she teaches photography. And the one thing you mentioned about, you know, um, understanding and look taking a picture in your mind before getting the camera out that's one of the things that she teaches as well and um I have, i've yet to finish her class because it's very it's very dense i mean there's yeah. a lot of information and i need to be very focused because there's a lot of um a lot of mindset changing and it's it, it's something that I mean, I'm I'm used to listening to um, audiobooks and talking about simpler things, but when you come down to photography, you know, there's a lot of 
big words or there's there's a lot of um ways that you can think about it i guess mm-hmm. and since it's a very specific hobby um that i'm very passionate about so it, it yeah i don't know where i was going but yeah it's really it's really it's a really good class so mm-hmm. what kind of uh I, i've seen that class advertised mm-hmm. how would you use that kind of information to influence your photography um and, and what kind of things are you photographing these days and you know, what would you do with that information well um anytime i'm photographing my kids right um mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's most of the times that's what's happening. And I'm, I'm either photographing my kids, my, my, uh, the lay of the land, like when we're out and about taking group photos. And I know she has a, a very defined look to her stuff. I mean, it's all professional and it's all like, she's taking photos of actors and, and, and scenes and whatnot. So I don't know, maybe some kind of integration of, you know, how do I make it look, Mm -hmm. look um, intriguing that, you know, it tells a story rather than just a photo of, you know, my kid standing in there. Right. You know, one thing um, on that point, one thing I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of weeks Mm -hmm. is time we spend taking a photo. Yeah. And, um, you know, there is a, a point and shoot approach that is kind of like a machine gun. You can just fire, you know, yeah. fire away and take tons of photos. And yeah. that certainly is one approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another approach that I think Annie Leibovitz and, and a lot of other um, portrait photographers and people use, mm-hmm. you know, you could put hours and hours, if not weeks into one photograph. Yeah least one series of photographs of the same subject yeah um and i think uh, maybe it's the iphone mentality or Mm -hmm. the point and shoot mentality but i think there's a perception among young photographers or new photographers Mm -hmm. that it's about volume over quality oh man and you if you just keep shooting you know you're bound to get something i guess uh, and th- that's true and necessary in some in some uh, worlds. Yeah, I think if you're a war photographer, you're probably shooting oh, anything yeah. you could possibly get. Exactly, um, and it's very relevant there. Yeah, but I think for for other situations where we have control over our environments, we're still shooting way too quickly. Yeah, and we're not taking our time to um, architect the the subject that we want to take. A photo of yeah i think people would probably spend an entire day or more um developing a single photograph yeah uh, whereas others would just come and you know pop 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 yeah and then done five minutes later they split so um certainly i'm i'm looking at how that affects my work and yeah. wanting to slow down uh, spend multiple hours or days on a single photo instead of um high volume yeah that's very, very uh, great point because um, you'll notice, like for example, um, I want I, I don't want to give you an example, but um, I don't know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that what will happen is you're you're going out and visiting, let's say, a park, and um, 
you're up in the mountains and you you're basically trying to capture every single photo that you think you know because you're looking out with your eyes and you're like oh i want to capture capture that look you know i want to capture the sunset i want to capture the clouds and and how the fog is creating the multiple layers and all you can see and the camera can't capture all of that unless you're standing still and you you have your settings right but then when you what happens is you end up taking tons of photos and then you're sharing all of them so one of the things that we want to do is curate that library right. i mean when you're creating an album you want to you want to spend enough time into looking each for each and every single photo and putting that in the album so then you have you're telling a story of what's actually happening rather than just sharing photos in bulk and that's what what ends up happening uh sometimes you do a photo shoot and you want to share every single photo that you've taken because and 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 I'm not a fan of that and that's one of the reasons why I still haven't printed a you know my wedding wedding photo album you're still editing <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so annoyed because I, every time I look at these photos and I'm like, oh my God, these guys had no clue what they were doing. They're using flash, you know, there's shadow, there's harsh shadows. There's like, like half the photos are crooked. Like you have to manually line them up and I'm just not happy with it. You know, what? what that's, that's what happens when you learn so much about <laughs> the process you start looking at these photos, like you know, it's just, it's just never gonna happen. I even um, went through the photos. I think they took probably like five hundred photos. I went through the photos and I, you know, took out one hundred photos. Okay, these ones you can print, but we never got them printed. And and you know, we'd be married for like twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> you're uh, you're very critical. Yes. <laughs> of, of the photos, you're a tough editor. So yeah. I, I I completely uh, can relate to what you're saying. I think editing is one of the hardest parts of of uh, photography. Yeah. Um, narrowing down or curating photos for a book or a publication or a website of any kind is really really tough. I think you you form a relationship with the photos, you yeah. know, based on your memories and experiences of taking them. Yeah. And you kind of, you can defend every photo as having a place in this book or website, but then you, you think of it from the point of view of, of your audience and, you know, you have to have a completely different approach. Yeah. Your audience maybe doesn't want to see that many photos or, yeah. or your message will become more powerful mm -hmm. by being, you know, through brevity. Yes. Uh, perhaps. So, um, yeah, editing is incredibly hard. You know, the pacing, the structure of photos, mm -hmm. the, uh, it, it's, I, it shouldn't be that hard. I don't know why it is that hard, but there's something in our brain. It is. Really it's, and, it. and even though we have tools available that speed up that process, yeah, we still, you know, like to spend that extra time. And sometimes we don't have the extra time. And, and one of the reasons I like, taking photos on my, you know, iPhone or bringing photos that I've taken, taken on the DSLR camera to the iPhone is because I can edit at my leisure. You know, I don't have to take time out and sit at a computer. Yeah. I could just edit 
and um, I actually took a iPhone photography course uh, through lynda.com and he was talking about app stacking and you know stacking filters on top of filters now there's apps that you can apply multiple filters and multiple effects to your photos so we've come a long way yeah I I do feel that I think there's a point in which a photograph becomes a piece of graphic art and mm-hmm. is no longer a photograph, Yeah, uh, which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think for photography, there has to be a degree of purity to it. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying no Photoshop or no Lightroom. Yeah. Um, I think Lightroom does digitally what people used to do in the darkroom. Yeah. Uh, it just is, becomes easier. So, I'm much more forgiving on Lightroom, mm-hmm. but um, there's there's a point where we doctor photos to such a degree that I I do believe personally that they cross over into no longer being a photograph. Yeah, they become graphic art, which mm-hmm. is completely respected. Yeah, not a that's not an insult, mm-hmm. but they, they leave the world of photography and they enter yeah. the world of graphic art. Yeah, they, and, they're, they're, they're... and that's great. <laughs> Totally true. And and totally true. And that's why people, uh, you know, they're like, okay, this is my look, right? And then they create their own looks. And and I don't know if I have a look yet. I'm still finding yeah. that look and figuring it out. I mean, you know, you spent many, many years and decades on it. So you have that eye. And, I, and every time I look at your photos, they're, they're just, you know, grab me and, and it tells a story mm-hmm. uh, immediately. So that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I um, so I'm sort of on the on the documentary side of photography for mm-hmm. most things. I do take pictures of my kids, and I do take pictures of trees and and the outdoors and and just about everything. But yeah, if I had a style, it would probably be more documentary. I shoot a lot of black and white, mm-hmm. um, and kind of very raw, um, very raw looking, um, either extremely underexposed or extremely overexposed in some cases. And that's kind yeah. of been the style. If you are, if you're a fan of uh, cinema of the 1970s and that kind of gritty look, that's probably, mm-hmm. you know, where I would place a lot of my um, inspiration. Um, I love rock and roll photography from the seventies. Yeah. I love um, just gritty, mm-hmm. gritty look. Um, and um Anyway, so you're, I want to come back to a point you made about telling your story and yeah, when um, you had mentioned that, you know, you get a hundred photos and they kind of lose their meaning or, you know, I guess other people can look at them and interpret them. Yeah. A different way, different ways than, than what you intended. And, and through curation, you try to, you try to sculpt that story and, and convey a meaning to them. Yeah. Um, one way you know people do it is through um through um visual storytelling or through Mm -hmm. um writing or writing poetry that goes with their photos or or, yeah what have you Um, adding the quotes on top adding quotes on top i mean a lot of people can you know if you don't provide them with a narrative uh, um or a piece of, of written journalism to go with it, people yeah. can come to their own conclusions about what a photo um, is or means. And yeah. quickly, when you said that, it kind of triggered a memory, but mm-hmm. um, just to quick, quickly share a story with your audience, 
Um, I saw a, um, I saw a, an amazing photograph on the cover of the LA Times mm -hmm. uh, many years ago, and um, I decided to send the photographer an email, mm -hmm. and uh, it was the photo was taken uh, during a war. Um, okay. I think this was a war in Afghanistan. Yeah, and um, a few hours later, I received a response to my email. <laughs> nice. Completely unaware that the photographer was still in Afghanistan. Oh my God. And was still in the midst of war. And he was a Getty Images photographer out of Chicago. Yeah. And he had a satellite uplink that was attached to his laptop computer. Yeah. And he was sitting in a tent, you know, with other soldiers at night. And mm -hmm. he was uploading his uh, photographs to Getty Images where they would yeah. be distributed to the press, including yeah. the, the LA Times cover photo that I had seen. And um, the photo was amazing. It looked like an oil painting. He was he was following um, two uh, medics that were jumping out of a helicopter and rushing into a battlefield yeah. to rescue um, someone that had been shot. And there was smoke and dust everywhere from the helicopter. And this photographer was blindly following these two two medics yeah. while he was taking pictures, completely unaware of his own surroundings because he was looking through the camera at the time. And um, over a series of a week or two, we exchanged a lot of emails. Yeah. And he said that um, he had often taken photos Getty and there was one in particular and people have accused him of trying to um, change the perceptions of war interesting through his photography um, they've accused him of his photos being being um, uh, faked or with people that are acting or you know um, performing for his camera in a certain way that they're not actual war photos and yeah. uh, it makes him it drives him crazy because he's actually an, an embedded war photojournalist he's like and, dude i'm out there doing this yeah and people will look at his photos and they'll say well that's fake you staged that you had oh. you had the soldier carry the other soldier and you know you you and of course this is what happens when you don't provide a narrative with your your artwork yeah uh, that other people can interpret it and they bring their own biases and their own feelings into that. And, um, they, they may or may not completely alter the, the narrative of what was actually going on. And it can be really destructive if, yeah. uh, if that happens. So, um, I just want to share that story, but that's, you know, a great reason for everyone to provide a narrative with their photos, to write a story, do some journalism, Oh, absolutely. And, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. That is absolutely true and, and the right way to go about it. Um I was reading um actually the Winter Olympics um a couple of years ago and there's an article and there was they were talking about how they were getting photos of you know the activities happening there immediately and ready to be, you know, published online or on a newspaper. And they're talking about tech that they were using. And, and the guys who were shooting 
out there, they're like, yep, we're hanging out here with three cameras or four cameras at some points. And uh, they've got, um, each camera's got a dedicated lens, 100 millimeter, 135, 35, and a 24, I guess. I can't remember. But they have those cameras connected to a local network, which is connected to gigabit, and sending those photos back to an editor sitting at the the newsroom and so they can they can immediately get those photos run it through their process edit them and get them out to be published i was like wow that is so amazing because they're 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 massive you know they're going over three four different technological advancements and and going through multiple people just so they can get the best images you know possible yeah yeah, that's uh, you know, Wi-Fi is a beautiful thing, right? Oh my God, yeah. This, uh, this photographer in Afghanistan was—I um, think he actually plugged a satellite dish, a small portable satellite dish, into probably like a USB output or something on his computer. Yeah, because uh, Wi-Fi wasn't available there. But um, yeah, it's it's amazing the speed in which we can do it. Um, yeah. The Sony cameras, one of the Sony cameras I'm working with now will, will actually mm-hmm. send a, uh, a low quality, small JPEG to your phone every time you take a picture. Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. It is amazing. Um, so when I first got my camera, I didn't, I just had the, you know, plain on SD card. And then I discovered iFi. I'm like, what is this iFi business? So iFi is a SD card with Wi-Fi built in to the SD card. Oh, wow. So it, so it drives, you know, it, the power drives from the, the battery, of course, and you can connect to this Wi-Fi network through your smartphone and it will, you know, transfer over a JPEG image to your phone as soon as you take a photo. And it's like, you know, and this is before we had Wi-Fi available in the cameras. So now, I mean, now all the cameras have the Wi-Fi built in, so it's it's changed yeah i think the world of photojournalism i mean mm-hmm. back in the vietnam war era i mean it, it it could take days before a photo was published in a local newspaper and distributed yeah. um and now we have almost almost real time i mean minutes or hours separating um yeah. ourselves from the actual event um, well what's What's even crazy now is that now you can broadcast live in 4K, right? And that 4K image is sharp enough for you to grab a frame and, hey, there's my photo. And you can apply edits to it and, um, you know, you're good to go. Because a lot of people... Sorry? I do wonder if video is going to replace photography one day and that we're just going to grab frames of video. I don't know, I, you know, because the thing with photography is that you can have the the bokeh effect in photography. In video, you can also, but but the dynamic range is 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 the one thing that video is almost there. I mean, you you would need some really high end equipment to get the diamond dynamic range in a video that you can already do in photo 
you know, in, in low cost DSLR mm-hmm. cameras, even, even smartphones. In fact, uh, when, uh, we were, when we were, uh, up in the mountains, um, last week I was taking photos with my DSLR and then I would take photo with my iPhone and the photo from the iPhone, cause it's defaulting HDR <laughs> looked so much better. I was All like, right. why am I, why am I even carrying around this DSLR? <laughs> yeah. Very true at times. I mean, the iPhone is the world's most popular camera right now, right? I mean, it is. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's portable. It's the battery lasts forever. Mm-hmm. It lasts longer than a camera. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I still don't think we have a good quality zoom and, um, you know, the functionality you get obviously on a DSLR is, oh yeah. Much, uh, much higher quality. Greater. Um, but you know, look, it's, it's improving with every generation of phone and it is. Yeah. Um, I know Canon and Sony and Nikon and all these are probably losing a lot of sleep, hoping that they don't lose touch with younger photographers. Yeah. Who are grow up with a Samsung yeah. or an iPhone. Exactly. Um, being the only camera that they ever need. So, yeah. Um, you know, I hope that's not the way it is, but, um, well, what 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 ends up happening what ends up happening is that we become more specialized as photographers using high-end equipment so we can demand a higher price for our work because sure anybody can take a photo anybody can shoot a video with their smartphone but if you want quality if you want the experience behind creating that imagery you're gonna every single time you're gonna hire a professional photographer so um going forward that's that's gonna be the same situation i think there are uh, so i i put um i put i put photographers in kind of two categories there's two types Mm -hmm. of photographers yeah and probably the uh the casual iphone user is falls into one of the categories but Mm -hmm. i think there's there's good photographers who take photos of amazing things. Yeah. And I think there's amazing photographers that take pictures of ordinary things and make Mm. them look amazing. And I think, um, you know, to give you an example, Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm an ordinary photographer or a good photographer who takes, pictures of amazing things. So yeah. I'll spend time you with my subject. I'll, I'll yeah. spend time, I'll spend months, months and months preparing mm-hmm. for an opportunity to shoot a photo or a series yeah. of photos. Yeah. Um, I'll try to get access to places um, like the prison piece that I sent you. Mm-hmm. Um, doing photography inside a prison is not an easy thing to do. So no. your typical you know, person with an iPhone in your pocket is not going to have an opportunity. They're not going to find that opportunity no, not, or yeah. create that opportunity through months of yeah. hard work. Um, I think an iPhone is going to be more of a reactionary device. It is all down to their pocket yeah. when there's an opportunity to take a picture and it's great. Um, mm-hmm. but I think photographers, um, are always going to have an upper hand not only with the, the quality of the equipment, but they're going to have an mm-hmm. upper hand 
in the work that they're willing to put in to get yeah. a great photo or series of photos. And um, an iPhone person is not going to do a gallery show. An iPhone person is not going to, you know, create probably a series of, of works of art. Yeah. It's a reactionary device that takes awesome photos and videos. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that aside from, you know, a couple of the examples you've given of filmmakers, mm -hmm. I don't know that people are putting a lot of time, no research, work, labor, travel into creating iPhone pictures. No. There are some, but not many. Yeah. That is very true. That is absolutely true. There was actually a story about a photographer who um, was hanging around Himalayas for three days or maybe even longer just to capture a photo of a snow leopard. He was just hanging out in the camp and it's snowing and he's up there. It might have been more than three days, might have been three weeks. I don't, I don't remember the exact story, but he was there for a while before he was able to capture that one photo. And that's, that's the, that's the photographer for you. Yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. And it's that type of planning and preparation mm -hmm. um, that I think separates uh, professional photographers um, from, you know, your, your hobbyist or your not hobbyist, but um, Everyday yeah, amateurs. Someone that just, yeah. yeah, everyone else, someone that's just taking pictures at a birthday party with their iPhone. Yeah. Uh, to be able to sit in the cold, mm -hmm. um, like this, this example you're giving, and uh, these, these, you know, bad conditions, yeah, wet, cold, hungry, and to be able to sit there knowing that he or she, you know, may or may not encounter a snow leopard. Yeah. And if he or she does encounter a snow leopard, it will probably catch them by surprise. Mm -hmm. It will probably have a, a matter of seconds to react. Yeah. And to, to get you know, what's going to end up being a great photo, you know, meaning the snow leopard's going to have to have great posture and a great look and, and be, you know, sleek and intimidating and all these things that we want mm -hmm. that we perceive snow leopards to be. Yeah. Um, that's that exact moment is, um, you know, it's like winning the lottery in some ways. It's, it's, it absolutely uh, is. <laughs> you don't have a lot of control. You just kind of hope it happens. And, yeah. and when it does happen, you hope that you've got your camera focused on it and you can take yeah. a picture. Yeah. Um, it's just not controlling your environment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, and that's the other thing that we have an advantage advantage on with uh, DSLRs that you have amazing selection of lenses, like those long focal lengths, 600 millimeters, 800 millimeters. Those bring that, that, you know, nature photography, a whole new level, like macro lenses are super amazing. Yeah. Um, and for the longest time, I was like, I want to get a macro lens so I can take photos of my honeybees. And when I finally did, I was like, whoa, this is too real. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I mean, I see these guys in uh, Africa taking pictures of uh, a rhinoceros. Mm -hmm. They're a quarter mile away. Yeah. Because it's such a dangerous situation. You don't want to. You're not going to approach a a rhino or an elephant or some or a you know a tiger. Yeah. Um, not in that environment anyway. But mm -hmm. uh, you're using a, a zoom lens and you're 
you're hundreds of yards away. Yeah. Um, you know, like it, it's awesome. Takes the danger out of it. Nobody gets hurt. Yeah. Nobody gets hurt. Well, um, do you want to add something else? Uh, where can, uh, people reach you? Just don't want it to, um, if you want to go to, uh, davidreeve.net, there's some pictures there. Okay. A V I D R E E V E.net. Um, there's some of my projects there. And, uh, if you want to read my latest piece on, um, the juvenile prison system, Mm -hmm. it's posted on medium, Mm -hmm. go to medium or Google and search for, uh, closing California's most violent juvenile prison. Okay. uh, Maybe you'll add it to your show notes online. Yeah. I'll link, I'll link it to the show notes. So, so we have access to those links. Cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, David, this was a pleasure speaking with you, learning about photography and uh, what it all takes to get there. Um, It's an amazing story. Thanks, Junaid. Thank you so much. We'll talk again um, if you want, and we can talk a little little bit about marketing because um, that's that's another subject for another day, mainly because... um, Earlier today, I was I was watching this video by Seth Godin, and uh, he's talking about how advertising is not marketing, not anymore. Anyways, uh, initially it was the same thing, but now it's changed. And apparently, has a new book coming out. This is marketing, I think, on uh, next week, which I already pre-ordered. So, <laughs> <laughs> so check that one out. But yeah, um, it was great talking with you. And, uh, you know, we'll pick, pick some more of your brain and, and, you know, talk about some other topics. All right. We'll, we'll get into marketing next time. All right. Sweet. Thank you so much. Thank you. In the next episode, we get to speak with a high energy keynote speaker, a trainer, a spokesperson, best-selling author, and an inventor, Christina Daves. She launched PR for anyone to help small business owners, entrepreneurs, and authors to learn how to easily and effectively generate their own publicity. So tune in next week for our next episode as we talk with Christina Davis.